This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Romans, if you will, uh, for our very first time. Uh, For those of you that... If this is your first time here at Who We Call, let me just say thanks for being here. We're delighted to have you as our guest here today, especially if you're a first-time guest. Before you leave today, stop by and say howdy to me on the, on the sidewalk before you leave today, because uh, I want to meet everybody that comes here. Uh, if this is not your first time here, on your way out today, be sure to stop by and say howdy to me on the sidewalk, because I want to say hi to everybody. So, uh, honestly, uh, you, you're here on a very special Sunday, because we're kicking off a brand spanking new sermon series through the book of Romans, verse by verse, and it's going to be a barn burner. Let me just tell you that. It's going to be good. It's going to take us a while, though. Uh, for those of you that know, I, I go a little bit slow, and so um, my, my wife has told me that I'm a little bit slow anyways, um, but uh, it's going to take us a minute to get through this again because there's just so much good stuff in the book of Romans, so I'd encourage you uh, to settle in here for a while. We're going to be uh, here for a minute, and it's going to be really, really good. A couple of things I wanted to, to make note. We'll make some announcements later, but I really want you to make note of this. First of all, uh, this Saturday we're having a Parenting on Purpose workshop. We've never done this before, but I think it'd be super helpful for those of us that have children. And even if you don't have children yet, or you're thinking about maybe one day having kids, or you just want to be a help to other people, I would encourage you to sign up for this, uh, just so that you know um, basically how what the Bible's view on parenting is. And so, uh, cost of this is ten dollars. If you want to be a part of this, I need you to sign up by tomorrow, uh, starting on Tuesday. There'll be no more signups after Tuesday because uh, we got a lot of resources we got to put together for you. And so, I'm really excited about this. And so. Uh, sign up for that if it'd be helpful to you. Also, we just put this on the calendar on Friday. Uh, opportunity came available, and I jumped on top of it. Uh, coming up uh, three weeks from yesterday, uh, that's uh, May the 14th, we'll have an uh, emotional and mental wellness seminar. We've never done this before, uh, but a friend of mine in California who's a, a licensed psychologist uh, is coming out, and he, him and his wife said, hey, we want to help your church. What can we do? And I said, I don't know. He said, what do you want to do? He said, I don't know. Anything we can do to help? And I said, man, uh, how about you come and talk to our church about uh, depression, anxiety, anger, and overall emotional wellness. He said, done. And so uh, we're delighted to have uh, Dr. Gary Major with us. He's going to talk to us about that. And so if that would be helpful to you, I'd encourage you to sign up. Or if you'd like to be a help to someone else, sign up. Uh, here's what I want for us as a church to do. I want as a pastor to give you the tools that you need to be successful in life according to the Bible standards. And sometimes that's how we feel, uh, the thoughts that we think, and the way that we process things that come at us in life. We want to do that from a biblical viewpoint. And I also want to be the type of church that we can destigmatize the idea that, that we need help. And it's okay to say, hey, I need help. Hey, I struggle with depression. Hey, I struggle with anxiety. Uh, and, and we can get you the help that you need. And so there's never any shame in that whatsoever. And we want to make sure that uh, everybody understands that processing through your feelings is a normal part of life. And so uh, this uh, weekend seminar that will be helped to you. And so I encourage you to sign up for that. We also have child care available if that would be a help to you as well. Uh, if you have kids that you want to put in, in child care while you come to the seminar, that would be huge. And so I just encourage you to sign up for those because those would be a help. Also, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be giving you some resources as we go through the book of 
of Romans. If you don't have yet, I would encourage you just to get a good, good, good study Bible. Uh, we just got a new shipment in of uh, Life Application Study Bibles. I believe one of the best study Bibles that's out there. And no lie, a $50 investment in a good study Bible will carry you for the next two to three decades. I'm talking about such a great tool to have in your arsenal. It's a good study Bible. If you don't have one, you should get one. Uh, also, I'm going to have some books for you in the next couple of weeks. I ordered several copies of a systematic theology uh, that basically is going to help you kind of process through the big ideas of the Bible. Because here's what I want for you, especially as we study through the book of Romans. We're going to see so much heavy, deep, good Bible doctrine in this study. I don't want it to go over your head, and I don't want you to miss anything. Uh, if you are a Christian, you should be a scholar and student of the Bible. You should know your Bible forwards and backwards, upside and down. Uh, and so you need tools and training to be able to do that. And so uh, one of the ways we do that is, is order books and resources to put in your hands that will be a help to you. And so uh, those come in uh, this week, and so you'll have those available for you next Sunday if you like. Also starting this fall, uh, we're going to have some college classes on Monday nights here uh, through Faith Bible Institute. And so uh, basically, if you're interested, again, in learning more about the Bible, these classes, I think, are three to four hours in length on Monday nights, uh, and you basically go through college courses and get college credit through Faith Bible Institute for it. And so, again, just more tools and training. You say, what would I do with that? You would know more about the Bible. And so I would encourage you to do that. And so uh, those are going to be some things you're going to see coming up in the next few weeks to help you uh, to get a grasp on a better understanding of the Bible. Because I think all of us, uh, whether you've been saved for a couple of weeks or a couple of decades, all of us could grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Bible. And as your pastor, I want to help you do that. And so uh, those are some resources that will be available to you. Let's jump into the book of Romans. We're going to take a look at really the first eight verses, but let me just tell you this. We're really just going to, this is an introduction or, uh, introduction message, okay? We're not going to get into the meat and potatoes until next week, uh, and so this is just a really, really good appetizer, but I hope by the time that you leave here, you'll leave full. Uh, we're going to take a look at uh, just kind of what the book of Romans is about, high-level overview of what we know about it, and then I'm going to give you a practical application because here's the thing. Every time we come to the Word of God, every single time, you should be able to leave a service and say, hey, I know what to do with that now. And so we're going to have practical application, even from just an overview uh, of the book of Romans here this morning, because you always want to have something you can take away uh, from the word. Romans chapter 1, starting verse number 1. If you don't yet have the Huikala app, I'd encourage you to download that to your smartphone or mobile device because on the Huikala app, you can click on today's message. There's going to be a button that says fill in notes. You click on that, it's going to open up a web browser that has all of the main points, sub points, and uh, scriptures that we're going to reference today uh, are available in there or there's also a button for pdf notes if you want to look at that uh, that way or just grab a sheet of paper and jot down some thoughts as we go through this passage this morning romans chapter one starting in verse one we'll go through verse number uh, eight paul a servant of jesus christ called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of god which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son jesus christ our lord made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom are ye also called of Jesus Christ to all that are in Rome beloved of God called to be saints grace to you and peace from God our father and the Lord Jesus Christ First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. 
The book of Romans is just such a big book, uh, not necessarily big in length, uh, 16 chapters here, but as far as the depth of the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel, what that means for you and I in practical living, uh, frankly, uh, it's one of those books that I'm a little bit nervous to, to tackle. Uh, I remember when Huikala first started, uh, we had uh, put every single dollar that we had into getting the building ready for our very first Sunday. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, where our children's ministry is right now, that used to be our main auditorium. Uh, and so we just had half the building over there. We moved in here uh, in 2018. And so we were, we were over there, and basically every dollar that we had to our name was, was sunk into that. Uh, our family had like zero dollars to our name. We, we zeroed out our savings account to get things rolling. Uh, our church uh, checking account had about $125 in it. I took a screenshot that day of our, our bank account balance because I thought, heaven help us, because we got in way over our head. I remember that very first Sunday, uh, Larry Gregory, uh, who's ushering here this morning, uh, had came to me after the service. He said, hey, pastor, here's the total for the offering. He gave it to me on a post-it note, and I looked at it, and it was like $1,200. And I remember, like it was yesterday, saying to him, praise God, man, I think we're going to make it another week. Like, I think we've got enough money today to make it seven more days. And it was kind of like that in the beginning. Like, you didn't know, are people going to show up on Sunday? Are we going to have enough money to pay the rent? Are we going to have enough money to pay the bills? And let me just say this, by the grace of God, uh, who we call it turns nine years old this October. We've never been late on a bill. We have zero dollars in debt. And God's just been really, really good to us. But I remember in those early days, as it was kind of week to week, and uh, Sunday nights, I, I thought, I'm going to preach through a book of the Bible on Sunday nights. But here's the thing. I didn't know if our church was going to be around in 90 days, and so I had to th pick something short. And so no lie, the very first book of the Bible that we ever preached through was the book of Philemon, <laughs> because there's one chapter. I thought to myself, I think we've got enough money in the bank to make it through one chapter. And so... <laughs> Again, God's gracious and God's good. And so when it comes to something like the book of Romans, you're like, wow, so heavy. How long is it going to take? Uh, we're going to be here for, a, if I was guessing, I would say at least two years. And so uh, settled in. Uh, we're going to be here for a minute. And by the end of this, hopefully you'll know a lot about the book of Romans. One author said this when it comes to the book of Romans. He said, most, if not all, of the great revivals and reformations in the history of the church have been directly related back to the book of Romans. I thought of that being a really powerful statement that in times where the church was struggling and the church saw great revival again, it could be traced back to the book that you and I are getting ready to, to go through on Sunday mornings. That when the church needed to change, that the change was brought about by some of the truths that came from the book of Romans. When people had gotten swept up in a false church and they decided to come out of that false church, it was related to the book of Romans. And so again, when we take a look at, again, books of the Bible, the Word of God is all-powerful. The Bible tells us it's sharper than any two-edged sword. But when it comes to the book of Romans, God has used this book, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome, in a very, very powerful way. When it comes to the book of Romans, this letter from Paul quotes the Old Testament 57 times more than any other New Testament book. And it repeatedly uses certain key words. It uses the word God 154 times, law 77 times, Christ 66 times, sin 45 times, Lord 44 times, and faith 40 times. And so again, you cannot honestly go through the book of Romans without plunging the depths of the depravity of mankind you cannot possibly read through the book of Romans without fully understanding the grace uh, of God, the power of the love of God, and what exactly that means to us. 
When it comes down to New Testament writings, we can really put them into four different categories. You can put them into the Gospels, which we would say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospel means the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have the Acts of the Apostles, which basically gives us the history of the uh, early believers in the first church. Then you have the Epistles. The word Epistles could be used synonymously with the word letter. And so the, these letters that were written, uh, Paul wrote the majority of the epistles that we find in Scripture. We have some that were written by Peter, uh, some written by James. Uh, and so, again, we see these letters that were written. And then the final book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, we would put in the apocalypse category. So if you were to break it down into four different categories, uh, that's what you'd wind up with uh, in, the, in those. And so the book of Romans would be one of the epistles. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Rome. One author put, said this, and, and this, word, this, this sentence is just a masterpiece because it clearly conveys how rich Romans is. Romans, it says, satisfies the craving of the human spirit for a comprehensive exposition of the great truths of salvation set out in logical fashion, supported and illumined by Old Testament scripture. As I look at that, I thought, wow, that is such a rich sentence in the fact that the human heart craves how do I make myself right with God? You take a look at every single uh, religion in all of world civilization. There was this idea that there's somebody greater than us out there and we need stuff from him or we need to make him happy. Therefore, we must have some way to appease this higher being. And sometimes they would do that through uh, sacrifice of things that they had. Sometimes they would do it through human sacrifice. Sometimes they would do it through cutting or bloodletting. Sometimes they would do it by marking their bodies as a way uh, to gain the attention of this deity. It just goes so far as to show that the human heart craves something larger than itself. Inside the chest of every human being is a burning deep desire to know their creator and be known by him. And Romans makes that absolutely crystal clear for us. And again, the great truths of salvation set out in logical fashion. It walks us through the process, not only of salvation, but of sanctification, of killing our sin and putting it to death, and the process of going through and renewing our hearts and minds. Romans lays that out for us in logical fashion, supported and illumined by the Old Testament Scripture. And so Paul again and again goes back and quotes Old Testament Scripture, which was unique because he was writing to a church that was primarily made up of Gentiles, non-Jews. And he was going back and again teaching them, hey, what we're doing, what we find in Christ goes back to the Old Testament. And we see power in the Word of God from its very, very beginning. The letter that Paul wrote to the Romans was uh, written by Paul. Nobody throughout all of church history has ever disputed that. From the very opening uh, part of that, uh, the author identifies himself as Paul. Uh, Likely in the spring of 58 AD and likely from Corinth. And so, again, uh, somewhere between 56 and 58 AD would have been the time frame that this was written. uh, Probably written from the city of Corinth while Paul was there. And we do that by taking a look at the timeline of where Paul was in certain places uh, on his missionary journey and the time frame that things were written and uh, who was at the church and who was not at the church and things along those lines. It kind of gives us a ballpark as far as when that was written. Here's one of the things that I found unique is the founding of the church at Rome is unclear, but it was not started by an apostle, rather unnamed individuals. As Paul writes to the church at Rome, he's not writing to uh, you know, a church that was started by another apostle. He wasn't writing to a church that was started by some big name Christian. And, and that's unique for a couple of different reasons. First of all, we see the, the church at Rome would have been started as the church at Jerusalem scattered. 
We've been taking a look on Sunday nights at uh, Ecclesiology, which is a study of the church uh, and church leadership. And last Sunday night, we take, took a look at how the church at Jerusalem was the first church that was started. Uh, the church was started when Jesus called his apostles. It was empowered on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. Peter preached the gospel. 3,000 people saved, baptized, added to the church. And then the Bible says people got saved every single day after that, sometimes by the thousands. But the church at Jerusalem grew by thousands and then tens of thousands where it was this massive movement that was taking place. Persecution came to the church. People were beginning to uh, be placed in jail. People were being put to death. People were being kicked out of their homes and, and, and basically uh, ostracized by their family. And things got a little bit hot there in Jerusalem. Stephen, uh, the first martyr of the church, was put to death for his faith. And people began to say, hey, we got to find cover somewhere because it's getting a little too hot here in Jerusalem. And they began to scatter anywhere that they could find place. And places where they would scatter to villages and hillsides and caves these group of believers would get together and they would pray, they would worship God, they would study the scriptures, and they would love and serve one another. And through this, basically these churches began to populate in kind of a decentralized fashion. There wasn't really any clear guidelines as far as how they should uh, carry the church out. There wasn't really any clear guidelines as far as who would lead the church, and so that's why Paul later would use Timothy and Titus to say, hey guys, uh, here's how you put together uh, church leadership structure, here's the pastors, here's the qualifications of that, here's the deacons, here's the qualifications of that, and outline that for them, but it, in the beginning it was just kind of uh, uh, these people gathered together and they just did what they knew as far as worshiping God went. So the church at Rome was a, a large church. It was an influential church. It was a church that people had, had heard of across the entire world, but it was started by, we're not really sure who. You know why that's encouraging to me, and I hope it's encouraging to you this morning, is because God isn't looking for somebody with a title or a position. God's not looking for somebody who has a big name. God's not looking for someone who comes from a particular religious pedigree. God's just looking for Christians who will be obedient. Simple as that. You want God to do something great with your life? Just obey Him. Simple as that. It's not, it's not, not complicated. Sometimes we overcomplicate serving God. Just do what He says. Do what He tells you to do. He said, well, well, I'm not much. Yeah, neither was anybody else in the Bible. Again, you take a look at everybody. They had excuses as why God couldn't use them. God came to Moses, and Moses says, yeah, I don't talk really well. That's fine. Go do what I said and take your brother Aaron with you. God decided to, to choose a new king after Saul. You take a look at the, the boys of Jesse. You say, hey, Samuel says, hey, you got anybody else? He's like, yeah, but no. I mean, there's David, but it's obviously not David, right? David's the least pick. Now, let me see David. Again, just a shepherd boy. God says, no, no, that's the one that I want. When Jesus went and called his apostles, where did he go to find them? Did he find them in the synagogue? Did he go to the universities and look for the top-notch students that were there with the highest GPAs that had more scripture memorization than anybody else? No, he didn't. He went and found fishermen and said, hey, fellas, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they dropped their nets straightway and followed him. Who started the church of Rome? <laughs> don't know. And frankly, let me tell you this, don't care. It's Jesus' church. And, and again, if the church at Rome was so famous, which it was, if it was so known throughout the entire world, which it was, it's interesting to me that God and his sovereignty didn't bother to even 
keep record of the names of the people at the church there at Rome. Again, because at the end of the day, when it comes to the glory of God, are our names really important? When it comes to a mighty moving of God, are our names really important? Does it really matter if we're living for the kingdom? And so that's just a neat little aside that I thought of as far as the, the church at Rome started by a bunch of anonymous, faithful, obedient Christians. While the church at Rome was famous, Paul never actually even visited the church. So this letter that Paul writes is going to be unique. Uh, the, uh, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth was a church that Paul had pastored for a while. Uh, pastored there for several years and then moved on uh, later and he would write a letter back to a church that he knew very, very well. <laughs> they didn't get their act together completely and so Paul had to write a second letter back to them and tell them to get their act together. Paul actually wrote four different letters, only two of those that we have in Scripture, to the church at Corinth because it was a church that he knew very well. And when he's writing, he's actually thinking of people in particular when he's writing the things that he's writing. He's calling out people by name. Hey, make sure that you take care of this. The church at Philippi was a church that Paul had pastored for about 18 months uh, on his second missionary journey. He moved on and then 10 years later would write a letter back to this church, which he knew very, very well. During this time frame, they had been sending him uh, notes of encouragement. They had been sending him money to take care of him along the way. And he wrote back a letter of gratitude and joy to this church that he knew very, very well. As Paul wrote to the churches at Galatia, it was a region and probably five or more churches that were there uh, in the Galatian region. He wrote, hey guys, I've been in your churches and here's what's wrong with them. Hey guys, I know what's going on there. I want to be really clear. Here's how you fix it. His letter to the church at Rome was really strange because he'd, he'd never met these folks before at all. Again, if you take a look in our text this morning, Romans chapter 1, verse number 8, Paul says, verse number 8, first I think, my God, through Jesus Christ for you, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Paul's like, man, everywhere I go, people are like, hey, man, have you heard about the church at Rome? Man, those guys are killing it out there. Hey, have you heard about the church at Rome? Man, their faith is like next level faith. Now, again, this would have been a church that would be centered in the headquarters of the Roman Empire. Again, these are people that are not favorable to the view of Christianity. These are people that are not friendly Friends of God for sure. This is a people who would be very oppressive towards Christianity. And they set up shop in Rome of all places. But they continue to be faithful. They continue to be obedient. And the level of faith that they show, Paul says, everywhere I go, worldwide people are talking about how great your faith is. But Paul never had the opportunity to experience it firsthand. And so Paul wanted to visit the church. He wanted to encourage them. And he also wanted to be encouraged himself. Again, as we see Paul, as he writes in Romans chapter 1, verse number uh, 11 here, he says, For I long to see you, that I might impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul saying, hey, I want to come so that I can be a blessing to you, verse number 11, so that I can impart to you a spiritual gift. But I'm also coming so that you guys can be an encouragement to me. And again, we're just a high-level overview on this, but I think the principle is really clear here. Everybody, regardless of how mature they are in their faith, regardless of what they show on the outside, everybody could use some encouragement. Everybody. You take a look at some of the people who seem to have it all together, the people who always have a smile on their face. I promise you this, they're carrying a burden. Every single person in this room today has something that's heavy on their heart today. And I believe that we as the body of Christ, we as the family of God, are commanded to bear one another's burdens. And so one of the ways we can do that is just be an encouragement to other people. 
Again, sometimes people say, like, I think the handshaking time here at this church is too long. Okay. Noted. Anything else you'd like to share? Because it's not going to change anything. You know why? Because you're going to be required to talk to people every single week. Why? This is our family. And if I said to you, hey, after the service is over, why don't you hang out for about 10 minutes or so and talk to folks around you? You know good and well what you do. You'd split. First chance you got, right? Like some people, like, I start making announcements, they grab their stuff and walk out. It's just like, you're not going to stay afterwards and hang out and talk to people. So get this, I'll force you to fellowship. <laughs> Forced fellowship is better than no fellowship, right? I mean, I'll take it. I don't like it, but I'll take it. But here's the thing. Paul says, I'm coming because I want to encourage you, but I'm coming because I could also use some encouragement as well. And so his, his purpose in going to see the church at Rome was really twofold. Paul wanted to visit Rome and preach the gospel. You see verse number 15, he says, So much is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. <laughs> the story of the gospel was Paul's heartbeat. It's what kept him going, what, what drove him. And when he says in verse number six, 15 here, I want to come to Rome and I want to preach the gospel. It wasn't just like, hey, I want to get an opportunity to get behind the pulpit on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and, and, and talk about the death, burial, and resurrection. That word preach is a word that means to strongly declare. And so Paul said, I just want to get to Rome and tell people about Jesus is what it was. I want to be able to preach the gospel. And here's the thing. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, it's your responsibility and mine to preach the gospel. Now, again, you're probably not going to stand behind a pulpit at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning to preach the gospel. But you can go to your workplace this week and strongly declare the gospel. That's easy. You can talk to your neighbors and strongly declare the gospel. That's preaching the gospel. That's what Paul wanted to do. He said, I can't wait to get to Rome. Now, when he went to Rome, did he want to see the Colosseum? Did he want to see all the other things that there? No, he said, I just want to get there and preach the gospel. I want to get there and be encouraged by you, and I want to be able to be an encouragement to you. But, man, I can't wait to tell people about Jesus. But it's interesting so many times you and I have an idea as far as what this is going to look like, right? What life looks like. So for Paul, here's what he had in his mind, okay? Stay with me for a second. Paul had in his mind, when the time comes, I'm going to go to Rome. And I'm going to walk down the streets of Rome. I'm going to talk to people about Jesus. And I'm going to uh, go find the, the church at Rome. I'm going to go see my brothers and sisters that I've never met before. I'm going to introduce myself. Hey, nice to meet you. How long have you been following Jesus? Man, tell me about that. Hey, I've heard about what God's doing here at the church at Rome. Man, this is awesome. This is exciting. You guys gather together every day and, and, and talk about Jesus. You gather together on the weekends and celebrate the, the risen Savior together. This is really cool. Maybe they might ask Paul to preach on a Sunday morning. Paul's got man, a lot of stuff to say for sure, doesn't he? A lot of things that he's seen, a lot of churches that he's planted, a lot of opportunities that he's had. And so I imagine Paul has in his mind this idea of I can't wait to get to Rome. How long will he be at Rome? Doesn't say what he's planning. Maybe he's thinking about being there for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years. I don't know. But he can't wait to get to Rome because when he gets to Rome, he's going to preach the gospel. <laughs> Fun fact about Paul. Paul's only visit to Rome would be during incarceration. He never got a chance to gather together with the church at Rome to worship. Isn't that interesting? He had it all planned out. He going to get there with you guys. I'm going to preach. I'm going to encourage you. 
you're going to encourage me, and I'm going to write you a letter before I get there so that we can save the time. You can read this ahead of time. When we get together, man, it's going to be good. Man, I can't wait to get to Rome to preach the gospel. We see in Acts chapter 25, verse number 11, Paul is brought before Festus, uh, who is a Jewish leader, and his crime was preaching the gospel. Now, Paul had a unique situation in the fact that Paul was a Jew of the Jew. Like, if you could be like high-level Jew, Paul was it. He was a Pharisee. There was teachers that were like top-notch teachers. Those were Paul's teachers. And Paul was very well known as far as being like a Jew of the Jews. But Paul was also a Roman citizen. He had Roman citizenship. So while he was brought before this court of Jewish leaders, he says, hey, guys, I don't want to be judged by you. I'm a Roman citizen. You don't have power or authority. I appeal to Caesar. So in Acts chapter 25, verse number 11, he said, for if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be any of these things whereof they accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, who was the Jewish leader, when he had conferred with the council, answered and says, thou hast appealed unto Caesar. Unto Caesar thou shalt go. Fine, you want to go to Rome? And have your day with Caesar, by all means, go ahead. And so Paul was taken in bondage, in incarceration to Rome, and he was housed under house arrest. He could have visitors uh, there, but he wasn't allowed to go anywhere. He wasn't allowed to to leave until he stood trial uh, before Caesar. But here's the awesome thing about Paul and his visit to Rome. During Paul's imprisonment in Rome, he would write four books of the Bible, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. We call these the prison epistles. So get this with me if you would for just a second. This is, this is how awesome our God is. This is how sovereign our God is. Paul had a burning desire to go to Rome and preach the gospel. He never got to fulfill that wish that was his own. Which we would say that's a godly thing. It's a godly goal. It wasn't selfish for him to say he wanted to go to Rome and preach the gospel. Oh, he got to go to Rome, all right, but he didn't get to preach the gospel the way he had intended. You know what he did instead? He gave you and I the book of Ephesians. You know what he did instead? He gave you and I the book of Colossians. You know what he did instead? He gave you and I the book of Philippians. You know what he did instead? He wrote to a slave owner, Philemon, and showed what grace really looked like. And I think... You and I are better for that. Now imagine, Paul had gone to Rome, met some random guy on the sidewalk and preached Jesus to him. He may or may not have gotten saved. Or Paul sat down with some guy and tried to teach him what it meant to be a committed follower of Christ, and that would have been helpful and stuff like that. But those things came and went. But Paul's trip to Rome, which was under less than favorable circumstances, which did not line up to the plan that he had, brought you and I so much more fruit. Did so much more for the church for the next... 2,000 years than just a quick visit to Rome would have made. So the big idea that I'm trying to show you here is many times you and I have plans. And God says, yeah, I don't like that plan so much. I got a better plan. But if you're like me, you're like, no, no, no. I've got this plan, God. I just need you to bless it, right? Isn't that so us? Like we make our plans, we get things figured out. And say, okay, God, bless this right here. And God's like, no, 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 I'm going to bless all this over here. No, 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 I don't need all this over here. I just need this right here, right? God, I want you to bless what I figured out. And Paul's like, hey, whatever God wants is what God gets. And so while God changed the plan that Paul had, he gave you and I something so much richer, so, something so much deeper 
The book of Romans is the clear single book that gives us a systematic theology. The word systematic theology basically means being able to break up the Bible and our understanding of God into different sections or systems, if you will. Again, you take a look at the book of, at the Bible, it's a supernatural book. It's one of those things that if you read it every single day for the rest of your life, you would still never get to the depths of the root of the wisdom and the, the truth that's found there. It's just so big. And so the idea of systematic theology is we break it up into manageable chunks. For example, we have theology, which is the study of God the Father, and everything that we know about God the Father would be found in, in, in theology. And then we break up into another section called Christology, which is the study of Jesus Christ and everything that we know about Him. And then we break it up into another section called Pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit and our understanding of Him. And then we break up into our understanding of sin or hamartiology and our understanding of, of everything that deals with sin. And then we have uh, break off into soteriology, which is the study of salvation and everything that goes underneath that. And then if you can imagine, underneath like soteriology, there's things like justification and propitiation and redemption and uh, things along those lines. They're all break-offs of just pneumatology. And so systematic theology is trying to take, make sense of the Bible and break it up into manageable categories where we can study and understand the Bible. Let me tell you this, just about every single possible systematic theology or way that we can break down the Bible. If you pull the book of Romans out of the Bible, it's really difficult to make sense of it all. It's tough. It's kind of the glue that holds everything together. Again, our understanding of man's fallen, depraved nature is so clear and evident in Romans chapter 1 just. And again, it exposes our need for a Savior. And so the book of Romans really is probably the most powerful book when it comes to putting together a systematic theology or understanding of who God is. The book of Romans also probably gives us the clearest view of uh, the full truth of the gospel. Again, if I were to share the gospel with someone without the book of Romans, it would be tough. I mean, you could do it, but it would be tough. Again, when we talk about our understanding of, of the gospel, man, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The next four verses that I share with people about the gospel all come from the book of Romans. And we sometimes refer to that as the Romans road. It's a path that leads to salvation. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6, verse number 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You've sinned against God, the consequences are death and hell and God's judgment forever. Next, Jesus Christ came and paid that price for you. Romans 5, 8, God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for sinners. And then the last truth is if you'd be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, repent of your sin and turn to Jesus, you can be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse number nine, if you believe in your heart and confess through your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, thou shalt be saved. Like to think of explaining the gospel to someone without the book of Romans I could do it, but it'd be tough. I'd have to do some homework. Romans just makes it really, really crystal clear. That's why today if you're here and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not sure if you're a Christian, you're not sure if this whole Christianity thing is something that you want to do, I would encourage you to read two books of the Bible if you're going to read the Bible. First of all, the book of John. 
John tells you that Jesus Christ is God and he is the only way to heaven. Start John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was, with, was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus goes on in John chapter 3 and says this, John chapter 3, verse number 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How do you get to heaven? By being saved or born again. John chapter 3, verse number 36, he who hath the Son hath life. He who hath not the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. Again, John makes it super clear why Jesus came. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus said that really clear. Then we get to the book of Romans. Okay, Jesus is a Savior. Jesus can forgive sins. But am I really that bad of a person? (laughs) Romans chapter 1 starts off with, yes, you are. Goodness. And here's the thing. As you read through the book of Romans, it only gets worse until then it gets better. And it's just like, oh, I get it now. Okay, I see. Yeah, I have rebelled against God. I have sinned against God. I do need a Savior And Jesus Christ is that Savior. And there's so much hope that's found in Him. Jesus. Wow, that's what I've been looking for. And then after, you've been saved. You continue to struggle against sin. You keep doing the same stupid things over and over and over. And you can't seem to get get free from it. You get to Romans chapter 5. And the end of Romans chapter 5, it says, Hey, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And you say, Oh, so God's grace covers all my sin. You say, yes, praise God for his grace. I can never out the grace of God. And then you begin to scratch your head and you go, wait a minute. That means that I can sin as much as I want and God can forgive as much as he wants, right? And then you keep reading. And you get to Romans chapter 6, verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's the answer? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And then you begin to see the gospel for what it is. It wasn't just what I needed the day that I got saved. It's what I need every single day to make sure that I stay right with God. Oh, that makes such perfect sense. And so the book of Romans, just so clear. The gospel's just so clear. Last week we had the opportunity to to baptize 15 people on Easter Sunday. It was awesome. Um, Teresa Coasterbala got baptized. Teresa, would you raise your hand over there? Uh, Teresa is uh, Kaz Coasterbala's mom. And so uh, she, she called me, or uh, she talked to me one time. She said, hey, I'd like to be baptized on Easter Sunday. She said, can I make an appointment with you? I said, sure. And so she came in, and I, and I said, um, hey, before anybody can be baptized, I have to know for sure that they're saved. Because the only people in the Bible that ever got baptized were people who were born again. And so I, I need to hear a story of when you got saved. And she said, okay. And so she began to tell me her church background and it was a uh, it was a mishmash of everything that you can imagine here for a little bit there for a little bit bounce to the here bounce to there and stuff like that i'm going okay and i'm hearing this and i'm like i don't hear any talk about jesus or sin or salvation but i'm listening intently and she says now i really think i got saved i was like okay here it comes she said when i went to an episcopal monastery and i'm just like okay this is not going to be good <laughs> and so and she was like, no, you go to this monastery and you're not allowed to talk to anybody the whole week that you're there. 
And she was, I think that's really when I hear, heard from God. And I was just like, oh, no. Because I'm thinking, like, in my mind, like, you're sitting and you heard the voice of God because you hadn't heard anybody else talk all week. And I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. And this is not going in a direction that I'm comfortable with at all. And I have to tell Teresa she's not really saved and she needs to be saved before she can get baptized. And she said, so not able to talk to anybody all week. And she, she, she said, I just decided I've never really read the Bible. So I thought I'd sit down and just read the Bible. Said, okay. And she goes, and I decided to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And she goes, as I read, she goes, I realized all my life I've been trying to be a good person, but that was not enough. That didn't fix my problem that I had that was sin. And I like, sat up in my chair. I was like, okay, tell me more. I think I was like, you lost me in Episcopal Monastery, but you caught back up with the Gospels. Okay, tell me more. And she goes, and, you know, I realized that I needed to be forgiven of my sin and that Jesus Christ was the only Savior. And she said, and I remember being there in that cabin by myself and praying and asking God to forgive me of my sins and save me. And from that point forward, I knew that Jesus Christ wasn't just Lord, but he was also my Savior. And she said, does that count? I was just like, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> and so I said, now, let me just make this straight. You came to all this just from reading the Gospels. And she goes, yeah. I thought, such power in the Word of God, isn't there? Such power. She didn't have some, some priest or some pastor or some preacher sit down with her and show her verses. She just read the Bible and God through the Holy Spirit said to her, you need to be saved. And she said, Jesus is the only way. And I thought to myself, such power in the Word of God. Now, I think Teresa is probably the only person in the history of man that's ever gone to an Episcopal monastery for a week and gotten <laughs> saved, right? Probably like a once-in-a-lifetime thing like ever. But I thought to myself, so much power in the Word of God, right? We don't need shows and entertainment and things like that. We just need the Word of God. It has the power that we need. And so as we, one uh, author said this, every preacher who's ever proclaimed the gospel since Paul's day has depended on the apostles' teaching for his material. Again, it's, it's very difficult to, to share the gospel Without the book of Romans, but again, even then you take away Paul's teachings of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, but that it's a, we're saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Again, Paul's teachings on salvation in Jesus Christ are such a gift to you and I because out of it, we would have, without it, we would be toast. But as we take a look again, high-level overview of the book of Romans here again, now comes the practical application. What do we do with what we've heard, first of all? We need to understand that the book of Romans and really the whole Bible points out that we struggle with corrupted desires. Our heart is wicked, our heart is broken, we want the wrong things, and we chase after the wrong things. Again, as we get through Romans chapter 1, it is such a powerful book. And let me just tell you this, as we get through the book of Romans, there's going to be some hard parts of it. I'm just going to tell you straight up, because the Word of God defies our human heart. It defies our carnality. It defies our desires. And as we read through something, some, at some point, and again, if you stick around Bible preaching churches at some point, you will have the Word of God thump you on the chest and say, you need to change, son. And it's, it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. And, and here's the problem. People oftentimes, when they're confronted with uncomfortable truths from the Word of God, Instead of repenting and submitting to the Bible, they say, hey, let me find some place that's not so hard. You know, Let's find a place that's a little bit more fun. Let's find a place that's a little bit more exciting and has that like wow factor where I can walk away going, that was a blast, as opposed to like, wow, I need to change. 
But the problem is, is that our heart, our desires are corrupt. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10 says, as it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Every single one of us, our hearts are broken, and we can't repair them. We can't fix them. Our hearts chase after the things of this world. Our hearts chase after our carnal desires. And our corrupted desires lead to to a heavy weight of guilt and shame. Again, the the book of Romans tells us that the Gentiles, non-Jews, when they sinned, they knew that they were wrong. They didn't even have the Ten Commandments. They didn't have the law, but they knew that they were wrong because why? God's law was written on their hearts. Again, our desire to cover up our sin goes back to our guilt and shame. Again, we don't have to teach our little children how to lie. They do that automatically. Oh, who, who broke this? I don't know. Really? You're the only one in here. I don't know. How'd it get broken? I don't know. I remember when I was a kid, we were playing out in front of my grandmother's house. We were throwing baseballs. And... um. They're like, oh, see if you can throw it super high. And so uh, I tried to throw it super high, but instead I threw it super far. <laughs> and it went through the neighbor's picture window. Like, have you ever seen those houses, like the big, huge window up front? Yeah, it was that one. And what did I do? You know, walk over to the neighbor's house, and knock on the door, and say, hi, I'm Anthony. I just want to let you know that I broke your picture window. What do you think I did? Ran and hid. Yeah, they said there's some boys playing out front throwing baseballs. Do you know who did that? No, no idea. There were kids out, kids out playing baseball, and I missed it. Oh, that's terrible. Because I wasn't anywhere out there playing baseball. Did anybody say, hey, if you break the window, lie about it, and hope it all goes away. Run and hide, and maybe nobody will ask you. No, what taught us that? Our guilt and shame, when we break God's law, we feel badly about it. That's our human conscience. That's the work of the Holy Spirit drawing us to repentance and righteousness. But you see, when we don't give in to repentance, that guilt and shame and sin begins to compound. It creates a cycle where guilt and shame push me further and further down. And the more that I sin, the worse that I feel. And the worse that I feel, the lower that I get. And our Guilt and our shame cause us to long for meaning in life. We feel like we're stuck on a hamster wheel of just doing the same stupid stuff again and again, and my life continues to devolve and continues to fall apart, and things begin to get worse and worse and worse, and now life doesn't really have any meaning. I mean, like, what are we even here for? Am I just supposed to work 40, 50 hours a week until I'm 65 and then take a weak sauce Social security and live in some old folks' home until I die and then everybody splits up my stuff? Like, why bother? If that's all life is. I'm supposed to work for the man for the rest of my life and take some meager salary, meager paycheck, and I'm supposed to be miserable. Yeah, no thanks. I'm done with being miserable. So then what's the answer? How do you fix things if life has no meaning? Look, if... If we don't have the Bible and you don't have God, what does life really amount to anyways? Like you should just enjoy your life whatever that means, at whatever cost, because this is all you get. 
And so as our guilt and shame begins to compound, we lose sight of what life is really about. And lack of meaning leads to hopelessness. And we're just like, why bother? This never gets any better. You might say, oh, I mean, look at so-and-so at work. They're miserable. Oh, look at my parents. They have a miserable marriage. Why bother? I'm trying to raise my kids right, but my kids hate my guts. Why bother? What does it really matter anyways? We lose hope. If you trace it all back, it all started with our corrupted desires and our sin, which put us in the situation that we're in. And now I'm going to show you how the gospel works backwards. You see, sin brings us to a place of hopelessness, but Jesus Christ is hope. Looking for hope, you're really looking for Jesus. Again, what your heart desires, what your heart craves, can be fully satisfied in Christ. He is hope. He is that one thing that you can put your faith in. Again, we try to put our, our hope in so many different places. Oh, yeah, when I get this new job, everything's going to be a lot better, right? Oh, yeah, when I get that next pay raise, things are going to be level out and things are going to be good, right? Oh, yeah, when our kids start kindergarten, everything will be okay, right? Oh, when our kids are out of diapers, everything's going to be okay, right? And it's always something else, isn't it? It's always funny to me. People who are like, oh, when our kids start school, everything's going to be okay. Oh, when our kids finish, you know, elementary and they get into junior high and they take care of themselves, they'll be okay. Oh, when the kids graduate high school, everything's going to be okay. And then guess what? Kids aren't around anymore and things still aren't okay. Because our hope is misplaced. And look, if, if your hope is in anything other than Jesus, you will be disappointed 100% of the time. And so I've got to have hope in something greater than myself. Romans chapter 5, verse number 5, and hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us, where when you were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. If you are without strength, if you are without hope, if you are at the end of your rope, you are precisely who Jesus Christ died for. Precisely. Now look, if you've got it all together, you've got life figured out, you've got all your ducks in a row, you need nothing, and everything is great for you all the time, you don't really need Jesus. You don't. Really, you need a reality check. But look, if you would consider yourself a sinner who needs help, Jesus is it. He's the answer for what ails you. And the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that's what gives us meaning. It gives me a reason to keep on pushing because when I fail, that's not the end of it. That's just a bump in the road. Because the story of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for sinners, is the thing that keeps us going every day. And friend, you didn't just need the gospel the day that you got saved. You needed the gospel this morning. You're going to need the gospel this afternoon. You're going to need the gospel every single day this week. That Jesus died for sinners and his blood can cover all of our sin. You know, that brings meaning to everything. And sometimes people say, what's the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to glorify God. Simple as that. Revelation 5.11, that's why you and I were created for the glory of the Father. That's the purpose that we have. That has meaning now. Why do I do what I do? I do what I do because it glorifies God. Hey, why are you working a dead-end job and getting paid peanuts to do it? Because you have an opportunity at your job to glorify God. Simple as that. And look, how much money you make at the end of the week is not a measure of your worth. You know where your worth is found? In the gospel. 
that Jesus saw value in saving your soul, that you were purchased with a price. That's where your value is found in the fact that I belong to God. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I've been adopted by Jesus Christ. That's where our worth and our value is found in the gospel. Now, with the gospel, everything clicks. Everything makes sense. Why should I be nice to my wife? Because it glorifies God, and it's a picture of Jesus Christ and the way that Jesus loves his church. Like, marriage makes sense now. I want to raise my kids to be good kids. Don't raise your kids to be good kids. Raise your kids to be kids that love Jesus. That makes sense. It all makes sense. It all clicks. Now when I get to go to work and be with a difficult coworker, I get the opportunity to show the grace of God that I have been shown through the gospel. Like, wow, the gospel makes everything make sense. It all becomes very clear. I love what Romans chapter 8, verse number 29 says. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. (laughs) It's interesting that God knew everyone that was going to be saved, and he predestined the people who would be saved to do what? To be conformed in the image of his son. That means that every person who would ever be saved was supposed to be conformed or shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. And he goes on in verse number 29, I love what it says here, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Get this, God has one son, Jesus, only begotten son. All the rest of God's children are adopted. Think about that for a second, okay? And get this, if Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren, that means that you and I are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Like, for a second, just think about that, it'll make your head explode. Wretched, pathetic, disgusting, wicked, sinful me gets to be the brother of Jesus? Like, how? The gospel, okay? But get this. The firstborn among many brethren means this, that if Jesus is our brother, he's the firstborn brother. That makes him our big brother. So get this. Again, really, the the Bible's so simple. Jesus Christ is your big brother. You need to grow up and be like your big brother. Does that make sense? How do we do that? The gospel allows us to do it. Again, that, now everything makes sense. Now everything falls into place. That guilt and shame that we carried, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ covers and removes our guilt and our shame. 100%. That when we sin, the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father. One of the greatest verses in all of the New Testament, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love the fact that penance isn't a biblical thing. You know what false religion says? Oh, if you're really sorry, you should give money to the poor. If you're really sorry, you should repeat this prayer 10 times. If you're really sorry, you should do three random acts of kindness, and that will prove that you're really sorry, and then God will forgive you. What? No, no, no. If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's it. The gospel allows me to confess my sin to God and be squeaky clean immediately. 
My guilt and my shame have already been born on the cross of Jesus Christ, and they've been put to death once and for all, never to be seen again. I don't have to carry guilt and shame for my sin. Jesus did it for me. Now, will there be consequences for sin? For sure. You can't sin against the grace of God and get away with it. Sin always has consequences, but please understand, if you choose to carry guilt and shame, that's 100% on you because it's already been forgiven. It's already been, you've been set free from that. Final thought here today. The Spirit of God takes those carnal desires we had. The Spirit of God renews our hearts and minds and thus transforms our desires. I have a new set of desires now that I'm submitted to Jesus. (laughs) The Bible says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. You know what I used to think for a long time? Again, you're going to laugh. I was like... To call me a baby Christian would be really nice to say at the time. But this is how, how ridiculous I was. I thought to myself, I've always wanted to own a Lamborghini, like always, like since I was a kid, you know. Like I always loved cars, like Ferraris and Lamborghinis and stuff like that. I thought, I'd love to have a Lamborghini. And if I delight myself in the Lord, he'll give me the desires of my heart, right? So he says, right? <laughs> and you laugh because you're like, well, that's really dumb. Yeah, it was, 100%. Because here's the thing. If I truly des- delight myself in the Lord, the desires of my heart change. I don't want the things of this world anymore. They're not attractive to me. And honestly, if you gave me the keys to a Lamborghini, I'd probably take it around the, the block once. I'd definitely smoke the tires in it. But I'd give you the keys back to it because I don't want that in my life. Really? Totally smoking the tires. Again, that's not the desire of my heart any longer. You know what the desire of my heart is? That people would see Jesus Christ through me? That my kids would grow up to love and serve Jesus every day of their life? That my wife and I would go to our grave being faithful to one another and faithful to Jesus? That's a desire of my heart. Oh, do you want to have a big house? No. Doesn't make my top 10 list. Oh, nice cars? Not top 10 list. And again, when we're submitted to Christ, the desires of our heart are no longer corrupt. I don't want the stuff that this world has to offer. I just want Jesus. You say, well, how do I get there? Hmm. Romans tells you. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, I'm begging you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because God has been so merciful to you that you submit your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, wholly acceptable which is your reasonable service. So submit yourself to God 100% as a sacrifice. But verse number two, but be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and faithful will of God. Man, I want God to change my heart and mind so that I can be of better use to him. I don't want corrupt things anymore. I want things that please and honor God. Why? Because I've been changed. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, none of this makes sense to me. You need to be saved. And let me tell you this. Put your faith in Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior. Turn from your sin because he is the only way to heaven. And you will find everything that your soul craves.
in Jesus. Maybe you say, well, I've been saved, but I'm not feeling that whole thing that you're talking about. Submit yourself to the authority of Jesus Christ. Submit yourself to the truth of God's word. Be obedient as a Christian to him, and you will find everything that your heart craves. You know, I say, yeah, I'm trying that, but I'm not getting it yet. Keep going. It's a process. You know, to the person who is overweight, you say, hey, go to the gym. They say, yeah, I did that one time. How long? Once. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, you know? You got to stay after it. It's a process. <laughs> Sometimes I, I tell guys, hey, you should totally read this book, man. It would be helped to you in the situations you're going through. Uh, I don't really read books. Okay, start. Last time I read a book was in high school. Okay, start. Well, I wasn't good at it in high school. Okay, be good now. Well, it's not really me. Do it! Come on! Again, it's just submitting to the process. I choose to follow Jesus regardless of what happens. Whether it's good for me, bad for me, in my immediate situation, I choose to follow Jesus. Simple as that. And I'm telling you this, you'll unlock something that you've never experienced before. Because once you have, once you've seen how good Jesus is, you don't really want anything else, do you? But I guarantee you, I guarantee you today I'm talking to somebody. At some point in your life, you tasted Jesus, you saw how good that he was, you wanted that, you craved it, you desired it, but somewhere along the way, you got off track. You began to look at the things of this world, and they became very attractive to you. And you lost sight of how good Jesus really was. I'm talking to you today. Jesus is what you really want. You've been trying, you've been clawing, you've been trying to get a hold of that stuff that feeling again, but you can only find it in Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, come back to that place. You say, well, I don't know how to get back there. First John 1, 9, confess your sin, forsake it, pursue Jesus Christ. You say, well, it's hard. I know it's hard, but I'll be with you every step along the way. That's what pastors do. That's what your church family does for you. We can do this by the grace of God that's found in the gospel. So choice is totally up to you. You might say, I don't think I've ever been closer to God than I am in my life. Good, keep pushing. There's more. Keep striving. There's more. God wants to use your life in ways that you cannot even fathom right now, but he needs you to be fully submitted first. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're safe, please don't leave here today without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. We'll have a guy sit down and talk with a guy, a lady sit down and talk with a lady and show you from the Bible how you can be saved. Not how you can become a Baptist or join our church or get baptized, but how you can know for sure your sins are forgiven because the Bible has the answer to every question that you have. But for those of us that are Christians, man, this book here, if you commit to it and submit to it, will 100% change your life. And I'm not just talking about the book of Romans, I'm talking about the whole word of God. Become a student of the Word of God and become submitted to the Word of God as well. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.